0: What are the most amazing running and hiking routes in the world? Who did them, and how fast? Welcome to the exciting new world of Fastest Known Time, commonly known as FKTs. This podcast is produced by fastestknowntime.com, a website where you find out what's new and cool, plus track FKT efforts taking place right now. On this podcast, we'll meet the remarkable athletes who have established some of the best FKTs, ask them how they did it, and find out what it means to them. And we won't waste any of your time. The Fastest Known Podcast delivers great info to you in just 30 minutes so you can get back to your run, which of course is more important. Welcome to the Fastest Known Podcast, where every week we discuss what's new and interesting in the world of fastest known times I'm Buzz Burrell, and this week I'm here with the inimitable Bill Wright. Bill is the co author of a book called Speed Climbing with Hans Florin. Bill's climbed all over the world, and he's basically, if you know Bill, he's known for speed. Everything he does is fast and it's efficient, and he's going to tell some very interesting stories today. Welcome, Bill.
1: Thanks, Buzz. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, first off, uh, I think just going way back in terms of the Fastest Known Time. Uh, You played a big role in that early on. Uh, My story is that when I first thought of the term was back when Peter and I were doing the John Muir Trail. It was very interesting because I was researching uh, the early records on this. And people are always asking me, well, when did it start? When did it start? It never started. And far back as I could go, and I researched it quite a bit, someone was always going for time. And I went back even to the Microfinch records at the Los Angeles Times, and there was always someone doing it. And so we, I started calling our time on the John Muir Trail the fastest known time, simply because that's what I knew. And then it turned out you had used this term earlier than that, so why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, in fact, I- we talked about it before I think you got it from me and then um, because we knew each other before then um I was always interested in speed climbing and I got to know Hans Florin and ended up writing the book um, speed climbing because I wanted to read it
0: um oh you wrote the book as <laughs> you're interested in the content yes
1: I, I couldn't yeah. understand how people could go that fast I really wanted to find out about that. And if there was a book on it, I just would have bought it and read it. But I wrote it so I could read it. Anyway, at the time, um, Hans had a website, speedclimbing.com, and he tracked all the speed records in Yosemite Valley. Pretty much just Yosemite Valley at that time. Although another friend of mine, John Black, who I knew separately from Hans Point he was a big Yosemite climber, he had a speed climbing site even before Hans, like a year or two before Hans. I didn't know that at the time, but, um, so Hans was tracking all the speed records. And so when I moved to Boulder area, I wanted to do the same. Well, actually, no, I didn't want it. I didn't do it when I moved there because I didn't meet Hans until maybe 1997. And, but I wanted to do the same thing for the Boulder area that Hans was doing for Yosemite Valley. And so I started tracking them and I got most of them from when I met Bill Briggs, put in all Bill Briggs' times, and then whenever i go out into the flat irons, i tie myself and call that a speed record. And I was telling that to my buddy, John Homie Prater, and he rightfully said, you don't know that's a record. How do you know that's a record? That's, that's a good call. Yeah, and it was a great point. I'm like, okay, can't call that a record, especially when I'm doing them. My only reason for doing them and putting them on my website was basically... To get somebody else to do them so that we could get a real record. You know, one person, if you only know one time, I guess it's a record, but it doesn't sound right to call it a record. Anyway, so when Homie made that statement, I got to thinking about it and came up with the term, all right, it's not a record, but it's the fastest known time by me. Right. And uh, because it isn't even the fastest known time, it's the fastest known time that I know about. Right. than on my website and this website which is still actually out there although it's a total mess as you know <laughs> probably know um, and I think because it was such a mess that's what prompted Peter to go off and do the Fastest No Time website which I know has evolved into this new website um, but uh, I wrote up a little description of there on there of this origin of how I came up with that term and obviously it was eventually dropped the by me part.
0: And what year was that?
1: I was trying to ask my friends about that and looking to see if I could find the date on my website. It was late late 90s, I'm okay. not sure. John Black seems to think it was earlier than I thought, but I would guess 98 or 99 or gotcha. But I don't know exactly.
0: Yeah, we were on the John Muir Trail in 2000. So, uh Near as we can tell, if anyone doubts this or would like to contradict it, please send us an email. But near as we can tell, the earliest known use of fastest known time in print or online is by Bill Wright sometime in the late 90s. Well, congratulations, Bill. <laughs>
1: like I said, it was only prompted by,
0: by homie. And then you've kept going ever since then. You've, yeah. You've done things all over the world, as I mentioned and you're known for doing a lot of quick things here in the boulder area so what stands out for you in terms of a fkt that you've done or that you appreciate i mean what just jumps out at you
1: oh i should have thought about this more but but actually you know you were a big influence on me um like i knew about you uh probably not that long before i actually met you because i think i sought you out after that. But but one of the things that got me going, I had a climbing accident in 1998 where I fell off a climb and broke my back. And to get back into things I was looking for a good challenge. And I couldn't climb very hard at the time because I I couldn't use my back that well. But I found out about your time of the uh, Jerry Roach's top ten in the Flatirons. Where you did like 15 hours and 15 minutes. I even discovered an old email about after we did it that you weren't going for time so much; you were just just trying to do all those things. You did them all solo, and there's some there's some airy stuff in there that I didn't want to solo anyway. But during my recovery from this broken back thing, I went and climbed most of them. Turns out not all of them, and then I went for to try to break your time uh, with my buddy Tom Karpacek. and. And, you know, we were going for a time. And so we ended up doing, like, ten and a half hours. And, and it was super satisfying to do something like that. Of course, I put it on my website. So now we have an FKT with two times in there. And that was, that was really cool. And a number of other friends have done it since then. And I think currently Stefan Griebel and I still have the team record for it. Well John Sargent got within like fifteen seconds of it uh, that's
0: ten hours long. It got within fifteen seconds
1: oh no it, now it's down to like seven and a half mm-hmm. but Bill Briggs has as far as I know Bill Briggs used to have the solo record at like seven and a uh, six and a half hours and just recently Darren took it uh down to around six hours
0: well, this is interesting, so you got uh your website and your personal motivation going just because it's would you say it's fun to compete, Bill? I mean, what, what, are, we, what are we talking about here? Yeah. There's a lot of different reasons for doing FKTs, isn't there? But you just really elucidated one, which is it stimulates one. You get better at what you're doing. You get more engaged. It just bring you back from an injury. And you improved your skill level.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I like to have projects, and I like time and stuff, and and I love competition. I mean, I'm a race director for the... Rattlesnake Ramble, which is run in Eldorado Canyon State Park, where there's lots of great climbing. And and I've been organizing informal races and things like that. Would
0: you say you're a competitive personality type?
1: (laughs) Yes, I would. (laughs) Some people might say to a fault. Maybe even my wife, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I love it. I think um, I try to be along the lines of Hans Florine, which is he's such a positive competitor. He loves competition, but he's always given his 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 uh, rivals all the information that he needs to beat him. His time on the the nose, for instance. Um, Hans Florine,
0: of course, is your co-author on the book Speed Climbing, and of course, he's held the nose record. More often, longer, and possibly climbed El Cap El Capitan more times than anyone alive.
1: Yeah, I think that's all true. He held the he's held the speed record I think seven different times with a wow with a whole bunch of different partners. So he's highly competitive, but he's also what
0: you call positively competitive. He's yeah. not angry. He's not dark about it. He supports other people. He's using it. Could we say self improvement?
1: Absolutely, and. Yeah, that's that's the term I use to describe him because I think some people, competitive people, or use use that term to denigrate people or as a as a character flaw. You mean competitiveness? Yeah, competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with Hans, it's just always so positive, and and certainly i I try to be a a tough competitor, but but definitely try to be always a positive competitor and in the races I've organized and things like that. I've tried to always recruit you know, the fastest people. I, I, I know, I always tell people, move to Boulder and be humble. <laughs> in Boulder, there are so many incredible athletes here. I have no uh, illusions of where I stand. I'm, I'm way down, way down from the top. And, exactly.
0: You, you, you definitely can't spray. I mean, if you're, sta- if you're standing in line at the deli, you really need to keep your mouth closed because the person lying line next to you probably has an Olympic
1: gold medal. That's so true. I mean, you really need to be careful what you say, and you and you don't judge a book by the cover. And you're, I think, a perfect example of that. Um, not that you don't look like an athlete. You do. <laughs> but you're even older than I am. And I think some people might, might think, oh, he's an old guy. I'll drop this guy and. I've been dropped by you so many times that I'm smart enough now to to be wary. And if somebody's even even heavy, you know, we know some number of athletes that go up and down in their fitness level. That yeah, just don't assume anything about anybody you're talking to in Boulder.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, speaking of uh, of recent FKTs, you recently projected a, a verb we sometimes use it comes from the climbing world. Uh, I've adapted the word project to running and paddling and other uh, adventures that's when you work on something you don't go out there and just do it once but you actually work at it and that's a classic climb in El Dorado Canyon called the yellow spur which is is it normally done in five or six pitches
1: that's a good question Um, I think it even one guidebook listed as seven pitches Hmm. and you can definitely do it as seven pitches and it's not ridiculous to do it as seven pitches but it probably is more done at six.
0: Mm-hmm. And that goes, uh, depending on your variation at the top, that's either on five, nine or a 10 a.
1: Yeah. It's, yes. hmm
0: yeah, Two different ways to finish it. And starting all the way down at the bottom on the river at the bridge, you and your partner, Danny Gilbert have hiked. If hike is the appropriate term up to the base, roped up and climbed those six pitches at five, nine, and then scrambled. The long fourth class east slab descent back down to the bridge
1: in a little over forty-eight minutes. Yeah, actually, wasn't it? uh, God, I don't even remember the time now. I thought it was forty-two minutes.
0: Forty-two minutes,
1: maybe. Forty-two minutes, forty-eight seconds. Yeah, Uh, that's incredibly fast. It is fast, and I actually did this. A long time ago, with Hans Florin when he was out visiting, you know, I wanted to do some speed climbing with him, and I learned all my speed climbing skills from him writing that book. And the the, the speed climbing records you mostly hear about are, you know, like the Nose is super famous. It's been in the news a lot lately. The Nose route on El Cap. Yes, and that's gone through cycles where it's really popular. It's been in Sports Illustrated. Um, as of late, it's gotten a lot of attention, and around here, the Naked Edge is is the canonical speed ascent. And I've talked with uh, Brad Gobright about about the Naked Edge record. He, he always thinks it's so strange that it's timed from the bridge to the bridge. That's historical, and I know you're you're big on that. That just you get some precedent where. People did it that way, and that's the way they timed it. Apples to apples. And so now that's the way we're going to do it. And it doesn't make as much sense for El Cap. The approach is so short, and then the descent is sort of long. But you're on the route for a long enough time. That one also has historical precedent. You start at the bottom of the first pitch, and it ends at that tree. And so, you know, you want to compare apples to apples. So that's just the way it's been done. And so when we went to do the yellow spur, we did it as well. Now the Yellow Spur didn't have as much of a history. I had a time in it that I recorded in my in my speed climbing book from Josh Wharton.
0: And we speaking of which you and I did a route link up that we called the Fab 4. Yeah. We did uh on the wind tower and the Bastille and the West Ridge and it ended with the Yellow Spur. And of course we went bridge to bridge on that.
1: Yeah. That that is a super good link up. Actually, I think the way I've normally done it is to go to the Westwich first and do Long John wall because that links up very nicely to yellow spur and then when you come down you do something on the wind tower and then I ended with the with the bas- we ended with the Bastille crack, but I know when we were going for our fastest time, which we eventually did under two hours might still be the fastest time. Um, we modified it because we worked it as a project like you said where we thought, oh let's go up the Bastille first because that way we can We can use some of that altitude in getting to the West Ridge. And we ran down the Fowler Trail. We had to cut down the road or something like that. I don't know if it was ideal. But anyway, we were doing those sorts of things to to trim the time. Part of the
0: FKT game, right? It's using your head, uh, projecting, thinking about it, strategizing it. So for people like you and I, if I may, and I think other people, the thousands of people are getting to
1: FKTs, it's using more of who you are it's using your head as well as your body. Definitely. And, and that's comes in a lot in, in climbing. And another great thing about the, this, this particular FKT, for me personally anyway, was uh, so we had a couple friends of ours that were competing with us. So we, we, we passed the FKT back and forth a couple of times, which made it a lot more fun. And we definitely did strategize and we shared all this information. We post all the information of what we did, how the rack we had, and how we broke up the pitches and who led and all these sort of things, all the split, all the time splits as well. In fact, when I first got into recording times, um, it, and it was, I was—I already alluded to it with uh, the speed records in Yosemite, but even in, in the Flatirons above Boulder, when you hear the times, it just sounds impossible. And like, like you mentioned in the Yellow Spur, it's like that can't be right. And so I was always a huge proponent of splits. Give me splits. Um, because then at least I could go run to the base and compare how fast it took me to get to the base to the guy who had the record. And It's like, oh, I'm only two minutes behind, okay.
0: And you could verify the legitimacy. Yeah,
1: that just and then it really was eye-opening to realize that you can actually go so much faster than I originally thought. And with climbing, as in particular, it's just, just this continuous movement. And that, that's a big thing. I know in a lot of the running, uh, all, pretty much all ultra running, all long running, FKTs is just constant
0: movement. This is a good example. So, you recently wrote an article in Rock and Ice magazine, a very good article, by the way. And one of your quotes from the article is When you really analyze it, and I have, most climbing is not moving at all. You're not moving when you rack up, flake the rope, chalk your hands, place protection, set a blade, blade your partner, change the gear, suss out the moves, etc., etc. And so, what you identified is that the key. Isn't really how fast you climb, but that how few breaks you take. The continuous movement.
1: Absolutely, uh, especially in climbing. Because you really look like at climbing, in fact, when I first took my my brother-in-law, quite an accomplished endurance athlete, Craig Kosky, uh, climbing, 20 years ago, he was a little bit frustrated with how much time he was just stopped. You know, he wanted to keep moving, and and that's where, where speed climbing. Um, really gets all of its time gains is this this continuous movement and you're not actually flying up the wall in a reckless manner And, and the article that you alluded to was was how average climbers more average climbers like myself can use the speed climbing techniques and be pretty safe using these things called progress capture devices and you're not doing anything frantic up there you're actually very controlled but uh, just moving continuously. Well,
0: let's focus on that for a minute. And first I'm gonna correct myself. You're right, it was 42 minutes, 48 seconds, bridge to bridge on the yellow spur. So safety, you just brought up safety, and that's the common conception, misconception, or question that people have, particularly with that recent tragic accident on El Camp this spring. And so are you risking your life? Are you uh, just this balls-out type of guy? Or how would you describe this, Bill?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And we've already got some, a couple of pushback comments from the article that I posted.
0: Our people are saying you're crazy?
1: Well, just that you're kidding yourself if you think this is safe. But ah. I, I do say at the start that this isn't as safe as regular climbing. There's no question about that. It's not as safe especially when you're going with a short rope and if anything goes wrong, it's difficult to extract yourself from it. You're gonna need help, probably. But as, you know, nobody cares how fast I go up the yellow spur. Nobody cares what the record is on the yellow spur. I mean, if you're in the nose, if you get the nose record, you're famous, maybe you can write a book, maybe you can make some money off that thing. So the
0: payoff wasn't very big. There's no
1: payoff here. It's just (laughs) personal satisfaction, personal challenge. And so we have lines that we won't cross as far as safety concerns. So we use a number of these things called progress capture devices, and we use four of them. You could use even more, place even more gear. I think- When you and I did it, you used one. Yeah, we used one, yep. As as I've gotten older, and especially these accidents that you refer to, um, it's just something to, to keep in your mind. And if you play this game long enough, taking big risks, the numbers don't add up you're gonna eventually you might eventually make a mistake and if you make a mistake at the wrong time that could be it as far as speed climbing is concerned which is what happened we think on el cap with jason wells and tim klein so, and so
0: you're just not getting a ton of money for doing this bill is that what you're telling me <laughs> no so no. Uh, your wife sherry and your and two kids danny and derek or you know college standouts and of course uh, you're also working a full-time job so this is you've balanced speed climbing, you've balanced FKT's in with your normal reasonable life
1: yes in fact that's one of the reasons I got into speed climbing is when I had kids Um, I didn't climbing typically for me was gone all day going climbing you're gone for the day and now I I wanted to be around more with the kids, and of course I needed to be around more to help out with the kids. And so I gravitated toward climbing in the morning for work really early and trying to say, so you don't have that much time before work. so That's good. It was natural to try to go faster and squeeze in more climbing before I have to get to work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's a great perspective, isn't it? So an outsider looking in could say, Bill Wright's this crazy guy. When, from your perspective, it's just rational, it's logical, it enables you to balance a work and family life. Definitely. When Peter and I did the Colorado Trail, this came up for us. You know, we were riding the Colorado Trail, going for an FKT there, and people would say, wow, look at that, it's amazing. We looked at them saying, you're on it for three weeks. I don't got three weeks. I kind of need to get this done a little sooner. So we weren't trying to be better or anything like that. This is just the time we had
1: available yeah it's just different really and in fact we already mentioned Jason Wells and Tim Klein you know Jason lives in Colorado he wants to go climb the nose on a weekend you know he's got a regular job too he wants to go out and he wants to climb El Cap a lot so he can't go out there for a week each time to climb El Cap which is what it normally takes and so he'd use speed climbing technique so he could go out there and climb it twice in one weekend and come back go to work uh,
0: What's the name of your rock and ice article in case someone wants to look it up? It's called uh, Average Speed. Average Speed. Playing the game. Playing the game. That's good. So uh, this is an excellent perspective. So if anyone wants to read Bill's uh, very thoughtful perspective on safety and that anyone, not, maybe not anyone, but more than just the world's top pros exactly. can play the game. Yep. And that's what FKTs are all about. I mean, only one person's gonna win the Boston Marathon, but you can find a, a mountain, a trail, a desert, or a beach, and go work on an FKT yourself on that particular project.
1: Yeah, and it you don't necessarily have to go for the, you know, have the FKT, you could still use use that, you could go for a personal best. Right. You know? And, you know, I'll never climb the Naked A as fast as Stefan does, but I might wanna work on it and use get faster and faster, just like we do on all the peaks around Boulder. And one other thing I'd like to mention, because you you were talking about uh, the John Muir Trail, and that you weren't out there to be better than anybody else. Um, I think a lot of times people get somewhat threatened when they hear all these fast times. And it's not that it's better, it's... Different. I mean, if you're the fastest, I guess you're, you're better than the people who are slower and people who are competing on speed. But no, you don't have to compete on speed. But if people do want to compete on speed, that's just another way to experience the route or the run or the trail or the mountain. And it isn't like I'm always going out to do that because I'm not. And I know you aren't as well. It's just uh, people think, oh, why don't you smell the flowers? And, and frequently I do that and even if you go fast that just gives you more time to smell the flowers down by the river sitting in your chair it just point. doesn't have to be either or that's my point doesn't have to be either or excellent. both
0: excellent there's just different ways of appreciating being in nature exactly and by going a little bit faster one could say you're seeing more terrain yeah and then you're getting home sooner so that you can lead a balanced life
1: and, and as you said sometimes it's it's do that or nothing You know, if you only have a weekend to do this or only have four days to go do the John Muir Trail, or maybe a week house to house, you have to go fast. Otherwise, or you just can't do it. It's like, I only have a week, can't do it. Or you can use these techniques and do it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, if anyone wants to get your
0: climbing uh, efficiency better, make sure you look at uh, Bill and Hans' book, uh, Speed Climbing. It's still in print, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And what you got coming up? What's next? I always ask everyone, "What's next?" And I think uh, you have a you have a
1: next, don't you? I always have lots of things on my list. Um, what are you are you referring to? And you can review okay whatever well,
0: you whatever you want to
1: tell us is Nowadays, nowadays I do a lot of adventuring with my son Derek, yes, who's 20 years old. You did Denali. We did Denali. Uh, when Aconcagua. Two weeks after he graduated from high school, this January we did Aconcagua. That's serious. Um, we've climbed El Cap, and and uh, lately we've become interested in in the LA freeway, ah, which you pioneered, and we're not going for the FKT there. No, no, just you got to rule that one out now because we you know Matthias and Kyle have have put that out of touch from from average adventurers like myself, but that's not, still a cool traverse. Great. And we tried it. That's a good good example. You don't
0: have to be the winner, so to speak, to enjoy yourself.
1: Exactly, like you say, only one person wins the Boston Marathon, but what, 20,000 or 30,000 people run it. Um, Exactly. And so, I'm not sure if we're gonna try that again. We tried it last year and didn't make it water issues. As you know, water on that high traverse is, is an issue. But but um, we might try it again this fall with support. So yeah, well, as long as you report what you do, all of it's great. You're um, right. But I know you did it unsupported, and that's awesome. And, and it's harder that way. <laughs> <And> we found <laughs> it was pretty hard. So maybe we'll try it with support. But definitely want to finish that.
0: Good. Good call. Good
1: route. Anything else this fall? Well, we have this uh, put on this scrambling series, mm-hmm. very in, sort of an informal, non-official series called the Tour Flat Flatirons, and be doing that again this fall. And a lot of a lot of the flat iron FKTs come out of the Tour de Flatirons because, um, like you were saying before, you're not a TT guy, but it's it's really fun to. To compete head yes. to head with people, and and, th- and this is certainly an example of positive competition. Everybody is 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 so caring of all the other competitors, never wanting to hold anyone up, and and helping them out if they get into trouble. And
0: this is extremely important point that we're going to focus on, and as we wrap this up, because we, this is the fastest known podcast, so we don't go on and on but this is very important. What are the rules?
1: If you don't mind, tell,
0: tell them the rules. The, the, the first rule I think is a pretty good one.
1: Yeah, well, in this race series, we're going up flat iron. So they're rock climbs. They're relatively easy rock climbs that we've done a lot, but they are rock climbs. And so our very first rule is don't die. Don't die. And that sounds really flippant, but I actually emphasize it at the start of each stage and that most of these, these, these scrambles for us are all very comfortable, but we have to be ultra aware of where we are the whole time and and that a mistake can be horrible and most of the time, like I say, these routes are, are pretty simple, but every once in a while there's, there's just a, a small tricky section and you need to slow down and really be solid there because it's such a small amount of time in the overall uh, stage that Just need to be careful there. You can have a great time doing this stuff, but you just can't make any mistakes. So that's our biggest rule.
0: Don't die is a pretty good rule. I support that. And I think you have another one about, as you've mentioned a minute ago, in terms of supporting and having it be a cooperative experience.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, You have a rule in in that regard, if I recall. What's that rule you're referring to? If you stop to help someone.
1: Oh yes, yeah. If you if you stop to help someone during stage, you get to rerun it. So we really want to, and and I'm actually gonna call it the Jason Wells Memorial Sportsmanship Award uh, that I want to start giving out at the race director's discretion um, to the scrambler that that exhibits his spirit as much because he did that a couple of times in races before when people were stuck and he just stopped going and and made sure they got down safely.
0: What a great attitude. I think people really uh, have to be, I am just listening to you talk Bill because you exemplify your philosophy on a personal level. You, you walk the talk, so to speak. And I think it's a great example of going out there, doing some fairly difficult, some fairly challenging things, but doing it smartly, safely, and having it be in balance with the rest of your life. I think it's a terrific example. Well, thanks, Buzz. And I look forward to seeing you this fall, hopefully uh, <clears throat> in a certain perspective here. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll
1: see you out scrambling sometime. I know you still love scrambling. You're, you and Bill Briggs, I always say, are the, sort of the godfathers of Flatiron scrambling.
0: Well, thank you very much, and of course, uh, we hope to see each other uh, out there, and we'll we'll be looking at who's uh, seeing the other persons behind. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) We are pretty fierce competitors in the few things that we're we're close on speed. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Bill. Yeah, it's my pleasure.
0: I hope you've gotten some good ideas for your next big run. Subscribe to this podcast so you can find out what's cool every week. It will be delivered to you each Friday. And definitely go to fastestknowntime.com to read the notes from this show and ask questions or make comments on what you've heard today. There are FKTs being reported daily that are incredible, but you maybe have never heard of them. So stay up on what is happening on this website and follow us on Twitter, the Gram, and Facebook. Many people have thanked us for this work and you can too by clicking support this site at the bottom of the webpage. Tune in next Friday. It's going to be fast and good.